Thanks for tuning into the Southern Way podcast on the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network. I'm your host, Mark Haslam, and on this show, we cover all things hunting culture across the South, tips, tactics, and skills to better your pursuit. And of course, we'll do things the Southern Way. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Southern Way. I'm Mark Aslam, and uh, I am taking over as host from Josh Raley. Very fortunate uh, to to work with Josh the past two episodes as a transition, and I'm very appreciative of Dan Johnson of giving me opportunity to uh, lead this podcast, the Southern Way, on the Sportsman's Empire Network. And uh, I couldn't think of a better person to have on as a first guest after I take the helm. So a lot of my, a lot of the success, Mike is going to fall on you, whether or not oh, man. <laughs> my, my hosting gig works or not. Uh, Mike Nadusky, let, let, ladies and gentlemen, thanks for being on bud. Absolutely. Mark. Thank you so much for having me. And I, I, I didn't know that your, your <laughs> success weighs on my shoulders, but I'm glad I've been lifting weights since the new year. So hopefully I can <laughs> help you out. No, you won't be the scapegoat scapegoat buddy. No, I was thinking about, Really, I mean, the Southern way is all about Southern Southern hunting culture, um, you know, everything hunting outdoors and celebrating wild game. And so right now, man, we're mid-late January. It's freezing. Most deer seasons are wrapping up. Um, I know, you know, Alabama, Mississippi, or in parts of Louisiana are firing up with their rut. But a lot of people are switching to birds. And, and I mean, I say, shouldn't be safe say switching a lot of people have been bird hunting for a couple of months now going back to late fall. So I figured this would be a good time to talk with you about everything you do. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, absolutely. And you're, you're right. I mean, this is a, a, a great time to be out in the woods, chasing birds and following a couple of dogs around. So uh, for my background, um, as it relates to this podcast, I have a, a background. I used to work for Rough Grouse Society and American Woodcock Society, particularly in the Southeast, uh, around conservation fundraising and uh, trying to create better habitat for those birds on the landscape. From there, I actually transitioned over to to fundraising for Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever, um, and worked on uh, a little bit on funding some projects in the in the Southeast, and know a fair bit about our work down there, particularly in South Carolina and Georgia. And then uh, most recently, I uh, became the the new owner and operator of Ugly Dog Hunting Company, which is a uh, online retailer for hunting dog supplies, dog training supplies. And uh, what I tell people is it's serious gear for serious bird hunters and dog trainers and are sometimes silly dogs as my short <laughs> hair is doing donuts around my computer chair right now. <laughs> well, good. What, what, um, what do you, what do you have on the horizon with uh, Ugly Dog? Man, anything, uh, anything coming up this year? You got, I'm sure you got some plans. Yeah. That you might not be able to talk oh, about yeah. anything yet. Yeah, I mean, well, for you know, I don't know if this would apply to to this audience, but if folks are making the trip to to Sioux Falls to Pheasant Fest, we'll certainly be there and be set up shop and want to shake hands and um, you know tell folks what we've got going on. So you know, getting a bit on the the show circuit, if you will, which will be really great. Um, and honestly, really. Um, 
taking taking the business um, and adding a bigger educational component to it. You know, nice. there's there's so much to do from a dog training perspective as well as gear. That one of my things is, you know, you can go out and buy all of the best stuff, but if you don't know how to use it and how it's going to be beneficial for you and your dog afield, you know why why go out and have it you know why why have a first aid kit if you don't know how to use it um you know why buy a pair of, of wire snips if you've never experienced a trap before and so um really looking forward to leaning in from an educational perspective with the business and helping folks learn um different things and really my goal is to have everybody have a, a fantastic 2024 you know um while well People, particularly down south, are still bird hunting, um, and y'all are very lucky to do so. There's a lot of the a lot of the country that it's over, and they're already eyeballing September first. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I want to set folks up to to have an incredible fall season next year. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, we um we we're in a very much of a cold snap right now mm -hmm. down here in the south. But yeah, there, there's um a lot of. Uh, most states are going to, their quail season is going to finish up in March. Um, I think it's March 1st in South Carolina, um, unless you're on a uh, preserve. I think sometimes mm -hmm. with preserves are a little bit different. I know for waterfowl, they can be different on preserves because they're released. But yeah, we think all the waterfowl seasons lined up and, um, yeah, I've, I've been seeing on social media a lot of people are have put down the the deer rifle and mm -hmm. picking up the shotgun and the blaze orange and just going out because you know there's something there's something just special about uh, you know social hunting uh, you know deer deer hunting's fun of course it is but you socialize you know at the skinning shed maybe before the hunt after the hunt at deer camp, but, and, you know, you, you can do it turkey hunting and you can do it duck hunting, but when you're duck hunting and turkey hunting, the, there's another layer of concealment, you mm -hmm. know, camouflage noise, not really talking loud, but when you're quail hunting in the woods, I don't really have any experience woodcock hunting. We can get that later, but quail hunting the woods, man. I mean, you, you're, you're with your buddies your own foot, maybe if you're lucky enough, you're on horseback, but it, it's a pretty cool social aspect. Don't you agree? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, I try to balance and try to get a little bit of time to get out and, and bird hunt with just me and my dogs, but, but really the best hunts are the ones where I'm out with my buddies and uh, you know, there is, there's nothing better than having them all see, see you make one of those incredible shots over your dog or your dog doing something uh, that, that really, you know, finding a, a down bird that, that everybody thought was lost or on the other side of that, uh, the amount of, of ribbing that lasts for years for the, <laughs> for the bird you missed or when your dog did something stupid. And so, um, you know, it really, it, it adds a whole other layer, like you said, versus sitting in a deer blind or turkey hunting, you know, it's much more, uh, sort of boisterous, uh, opportunity yeah. to get out and hunt. What is there anything that you can? You're talking about hunting solo mm -hmm. with your dog. Is there anything that 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 you feel like you can? Uh, are you able to cover more ground when you hunt solo? Is it? A, I mean, what is there? Do you get much different experience from it? Um, it's fun, you know, working your bird, just you. I'm sorry, working your dog 
with just mm-hmm. just one hunter or you cover more ground you feel like the the hunting uh how was it different than maybe if you got two or three yeah. with you i think um i think you know a big difference at least for me um the guys i bird hunt with they all have dogs too and so if we go there's you know there's a handful of us hunters and then there's usually at least two dogs if not more on the ground and so um you know there's an opportunity to watch them work together but sometimes they work against each other whereas i think there really is something profound about the relationship with a person and their dog and going out and having one one goal to accomplish and going out and doing that you know just the two of you um i think you can certainly cover more ground i think the biggest piece is i it, it lends it lends a sense of attunement to the landscape you know when you're deer hunting it's just you, you know, you really get a sense for everything that is around you when you're sitting on stand. Um, similarly with bird hunting, when you're not with a group, you don't have to worry about where all your buddies are. You don't have to worry about where their dogs are. Yeah, like you can just focus true. on, we're going to go here and experience it. And I can watch the dog and the landscape. And, um, and it, this can be, uh, you know, really just an experience, uh, you know, with the two of us. And that said, I mean, uh, there's still plenty of, of the fun times like i was saying you know as a group so it really it, it really is one of those those opportunities where you could do it with five of your closest friends or just you and your dog yeah that's right yeah it, it's there's something just very special about watching a dog work you know uh whatever breed that that was you know bred for you know years upon years to do a certain job and just watching them work birds are no birds success no success just watching a good trained dog and you're right you know hunting with um with a group of hunters whether they're skilled or unskilled there's that extra layer of you know how many you know kind of just mentally keeping track of of the guns you know mm-hmm. where are the guns are they behind me over here the dogs over here looks like there's some birds over here maybe some broke up and that that's definitely a, a layer that you know you, you can't ever look. I was talking to a friend of mine over this weekend about a hunt, and it was a guided hunt, and, and there was there were there were two hunters. They were big game hunting out west, and there were two hunters. Only only, only one only one had a gun. The guy with them, and they they were trying to get close to their target, and um, the guide sent the hunter ahead of both of them, and the guy and the other guy stayed back. And I I was question I was questioning that because all of a sudden the gun is going ahead of them in a terrain that the two hunters weren't familiar with the guide was, but uh-huh. it's just, it's just something I've, I thought about when he was telling me, because I've been in those situations, whether you're stalking pigs, I would say it'd probably be like, you know, you're out West big game hunting, or maybe in the South you're stalking pigs um, uh-huh. or you're bird hunting. And it just, but yeah, I mean, sometimes that can happen. Um, you know, you, you, sometimes it can be a little too social and you don't realize that, yeah. you know, there's, there's some, there's some, there's some, you know, uh, there's some, uh, you know, dogs around and people. I usually, I feel like when I go quail hunting, if there's a guide, they always say, you know, two rules, don't shoot low birds and don't shoot my dog. That's yeah. Like I, I, I have two rules and it's, uh, don't shoot my dog and don't shoot me. And if you break rule number one, break rule number two quickly. <laughs> so. Have you had any, I mean, I hate to ask. I had one, no, I had one a number of years ago, Mm -hmm. a guy at a preserve, um, you know, and it was a, 
pheasant hunt and a bird got up real low and um you know the guy was just so excited to shoot that you know yeah. fingers on the trigger before the bird gets up and really gets the gun mounted and um uh, thankfully shot in the ground in front of the dog but uh and and that you know was certainly a wake up for him and um you know but i can only imagine what would have happened if it, if it wasn't the ground and it was the dog um and so that it, it's something that you always have to pay attention to you know you, you especially you know quail hunting you get down some of those those piney woods and and all that brush it's it's easy to lose track of other people um same with woodcock in the south i mean that that cover is nasty it's thick you know you're trying to keep keep tabs on everybody even if you're in a bunch of orange um but things happen fast especially with covey you know covey quail i mean yeah those things blow up at your feet and you never know which way they're going to go so it is definitely that's definitely something to be really mindful of too yeah I, i've always liked um if there's a group of having two guns you know mm -hmm. a left and right side you can put someone in the middle and space them out as long as that middle the middle person needs to be a pretty well adapted skilled yeah. hunter because they've got a tighter window and the left and right side are a little bit different. So, um, well, good, man. So, so where, where did you hunt this past year? How, how was your 23, 24 season? It's, I, I can't complain. I think that it, for me, it, uh, was arguably one of my best bird seasons yet. Just in terms of, nice. of numbers and, um, you know, really just opportunities to go a bunch of places. And so, um, while I have, lived in the southeast since moved back up back up north and so most of my hunting was up here i did a lot of rough grouse hunting um so northern minnesota northern wisconsin is, is generally where i go um across both states and and grouse numbers were were up uh, particularly here in minnesota and um we didn't we didn't get a lot of snow um we hmm. still don't have a lot of snow i mean it's been below zero the last couple of days i mean we have that same cold snap that y'all have uh but we probably have three inches of snow on the ground um and so for example in december i went uh like week before christmas i went pheasant hunting with a bunch of buddies and we were drinking beer on the tailgate in a hoodie at the end of the hunt watching the sunset uh whereas last year that same time was about 10 degrees with a foot of snow on the ground um and this this year we had none and so for grouse um it was really great for grouse hunting because i hunted new year's eve with no snow on the ground um, so you could actually get up in the north woods and, and go out and hunt and really enjoy it so we did a lot of that chased some pheasants around minnesota and south dakota um, and then i also uh, spent a f about a week in kansas chasing bob white quail and so um you know bobs are are quickly becoming one of my favorite birds to hunt and um, i've actually have some really good friends from north carolina that, that go to kansas every year and so we we've made a a trip out of it the last several and so i come down and meet them and they come up and we uh we have a heck of a time and uh for that was really awesome i got to watch uh one of their sons is 14 years old you know shoot his first few wild quail over a bird dog so nice uh, nice to to pass that on too nice well my, you, you're you're telling me all kinds of things you're telling me that that bob white quail are quickly becoming one of your fate it's not your yeah. favorite is, is it is not, not the, no it's not the tippy no, top favorite no man you're killing me is, i what know is? i understand i tell i tell people i'm married to rough grouse and bob white quail and my mistress so <laughs> uh you know i i cut my teeth bird hunting in the north woods and yeah, i've yeah. always you know 
loved that environment. And um, so that sort of always will be my number one and, and my go-to. And I've, I've hunted them in the South too, as, as hard yeah. as it is to find them, you can. And uh, it's, it's awesome. But uh, at the same time, like I think of Bob White quail, you know, covey of Bob White quail getting up is a dozen or more baseball sized rough grouse getting up all at once. And so, uh, you know, it's, I love native species. Like pheasant hunting is cool to me, but um, I'd rather go chase yeah. rough grouse or, or woodcock, Bob White quail. Um, done some prairie chicken hunting the last couple of years, which is super fun. So getting out and chasing those native species. So for anyone that, that doesn't know rough grouse, um, there's been a big movement. I know you've been a part of um, trying mm-hmm. to help out population conservation. What, 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 what was their footprint? I mean, I, most people know like, you know, elk, for instance, mm-hmm. the foot, the footprint of, of elk, mm-hmm. I think they were currently something like 11 or 14% of their original OG native landscape. I mean, they were yeah. all through the Southeast bear too but was rough grouse i mean i i see people talk about it in virginia how far south do they once go do you know north georgia north alabama okay uh, so yeah i mean really, these states should have them probably north south carolina mm-hmm. northern yeah um, north carolina um you know upstate south carolina um you know north georgia i don't know if there's any rough grouse in alabama northern alabama still but there definitely were at one time, you know, t- Eastern Tennessee, basically all the way down the Southern Appalachian mountain chain uh, it, was, was where they would be. Is there a consensus as far as what happened? Cause with Bob White quail, there's, there's some general ideas about what happened. Is it similar? Yeah. Uh, in a, in a different context. So there are obligate forest species. And mm-hmm. um, so some of it is climate um, and particularly, you know, they, they, in the South, they're in those, you know, higher elevations. So they need, you know, they're, they're looking for that bit of a, a colder uh, year long environment where they can, um, you know, get away from mosquitoes. There's actually been some research around like West Nile virus recently and its impact mm-hmm. on rough grouse populations and particularly in the Southeast, um, you know, that comes into play at elevation. So the higher elevation you go, the less likely you are to have mosquitoes and uh, that, uh, you know, certainly, has an impact on the on the population um as well as you know forestry practices so for bob white quail it was agricultural and forestry practices and rough grouse it definitely was forestry practices and really what i mean by that is the lack thereof um, yeah. so you know the 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 lack of timber management and regrowth and early successional habitat which is you know could be the same said same, the same thing for bob white quail um which is in a bit of a different context um you know it really brought about a pretty precipitous decline um, as we stopped cutting on our big swaths of forests you know they their habitat got smaller and smaller and so if there's really a, not that many of them hanging on there's great groups yeah. trying to do a lot of work to bring them about but uh, a lot of a lot of work left to do now the good thing is you know for all of these birds whether it's grouse or quail or woodcock i mean early successional forestry habitat is key and i mean you know from all the work that you've done on the deer side I mean, really, it's it's great for all wildlife, I mean, particularly game species. So, the more of that we can put on the landscape, the better. Absolutely, and and it's 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 like there's a, you know, I talk a lot about um, with with my what I do with Southeast Whitetail, everything about, and I and I made a a big push 
about shooting does, you know, regulating your uh, deer herds. And it's interesting. I, maybe I'm just, maybe because that's my wheelhouse, but I feel like, and, and some other people I've noticed too mentioned to me, I feel like the, the, there's, we're seeing more in the hunting media about uh, shooting does and this mm-hmm. past season. And it does seem like in the, in the deer community, we're seeing, a, we're drifting back a little bit from the whole horn porn, you know, the mm-hmm. latest 200 inch bot. But I say all that because one of the most overlooked things is that, and I, in, in, you know, I say it, it is, it's, it's, you know, it's nothing new. Biologists have been saying it for years, but you're taking, you're removing mouths off the landscape that are just mowing down food and they eat mm-hmm. anything and everything. Their browsers, six to eight percent of their body weight to maintain a healthy. I mean, how much wet, how much food that is for a single deer every single day. Now, of course, that's just on average to maintain a healthy weight. I say all that because think about if you're overpopulated, they are wiping out uh, not only food but cover and safety for mm-hmm. every every other bird species. You know, turkey, quail, rough grouse, you name it. So you start to reduce those numbers. You'll have some other numbers. Mm-hmm. And a lot of what we're seeing, man, conservation, I think it was, I think it's the South Carolina, or maybe the Bob White initiative. Yeah. In South Carolina, they posted something this week, I mean, yesterday about, you know, the population and, uh, you know, a graph, bar graph, and it's been trending down, but it's been stabilizing a little bit over the past like 10 years or so. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's weird. It's weird for me to wrap my head around that conservation side of these birds because you know deer deer were very much in the in the eyes of biologists and then hunting culture in the late 80s early 90s through qdma now nda and since then we've saw this big i mean there's no coincidence that late 90s there was just boom in early 2000s of hunting shows 200 inch bucks I mean, mm-hmm. every hunting celebrity shooting a, a bigger buck every year. There's no, it's a product of this knowledge. Um, but we've, you know, are we going to see a shift in wild turkeys? Because wild turkeys are like, they're getting the attention right now. Um, but it's like quail and rough grouse. It, it's to me, I can't wrap my head around. Um, I know that you're doing all these other things. It helps those species, but it just, it seems like they're just on the back burner. Um, yeah, and, and, and there's some good people doing good work. I'm not saying that just in general, you have to really kind of die, really find the niche content like Mm -hmm. yours that talks about that kind of stuff. Yeah. Well, I think it's bird hunting in particular in, in bird conservation is a bit of chicken and egg right now. And, And what I mean by that is, is you know, your dad, when he was a kid, could have gone, gone, walked outside with a shotgun and walked down a fence row and found a couple of coveys of quail. And it didn't matter whose fence row it was, because back then it was a kid bird hunting and no one cared. Yeah. Right. Whereas, whereas now it's two things. One, everybody cares who's on their property. And and I'm not making a judgment on that. It's just a part of the times. But two, the those properties have matured so much generally or been developed to the point where even if they were a kid was given access to walk outside with a shotgun and a bird dog the likelihood that they're going to find a wild covey of quail because the habitat's so bad is slim to none and so so having those birds go away people sort of let them 
um, mm -hmm. uh, unfortunately. And then um, now we're more behind the eight ball and trying to, you know, bring them back, uh, but doing so either on public land or finding ways to work with private landowners to to incentivize them to to go and do those things. Or what we're seeing in, in other capacities is people place a high value, for example, on, on deer and um, do, are doing a, the a appropriate land management for deer, which includes things like prescribed fire and, and generating bedding cover, which is early successional habitat and those types of things. And all of a sudden, if there's quail around, it's literally the field of dreams. And if you build it, they will come. Um, and so it is, um, it's a, it's a thorny thing to untangle to try to figure out what, what they need and to, and to get folks involved because it's, we, we, as a society, right. We talk about this all the time. We love our gratification, right. And if you can't, if you can't go out and have, have a reasonable expectation of finding some birds to hunt at some point you, you give up on it. And, yeah. or you make the trip somewhere else where you can. And so, uh, you know, trying to, to figure out ways to inspire people and help them know that the, the work that they do now is going to have impacts in the future is really important. That's right. That's, that's right, man. I mean, there's some very easy, low expense things someone can do to better their, their bird population. And I say this all the time, but quite frankly, not only are you helping the birds out and maybe bettering your huntability, but you're also increasing the value of your land. And I'm not trying to put a, a price tag on wild game, but if you were to work your land, whatever size it is, big or small, tiny or large, and you produce something, it, it, it is going to be worth more money if you were to sell it or trade up to a bigger farm. If you've got better habitat and birds, I, that's just how it is. So let's, I want to backtrack a little bit. You you mentioned wild wild quail. What? Uh, why is it just so? Hard? Why is it so much harder to kill a wild quail than a pen raise? What 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 is? I mean what what? I mean I know the obvious, Mike. Don't so. I mean if you're listening to this, you know the obvious. But man, wild quail. It's interesting. I, I they're they're just they're tough. It's like sometimes you can walk up on them, or I can drive up on them in the farm. Yep. And sometimes I can walk up on them, but if I've got a dog with me, uh-uh. Yep. But these birds aren't really hunting. I mean, they're they're not hunting. In fact, to this day, I still I have gone by myself or with my wife with my dog to try to find some, but I think he's never I mean, they've never gotten close to points. So, the, so my wild mm -hmm. have never really been hunted. But it's sure. just it's wild. It's like I can get sometimes right on top of them with my truck. You know, pretty close. Yep. Closer than when I'd yeah. think. But they just, it's, it's wild. They're just. I, I think that's, you know, you can extrapolate that to deer. And I mean, how many deer have you driven up on a tractor or a four wheeler or the truck, you know, but you go walking and they yeah. see a they'd see a predator. And I think, you know, the easy answer is, I mean, while you may not be hunting them or other people might not, you know, they're getting pounded by animals all the time. A, a friend and I were recently having this conversation about rough grass hunting around full moons. And how um, we've we've noticed that hunting around a full moon, particularly for rough grouse, is really hard because the birds. We feel like the we feel like anecdotally, right, that the birds are much uh, more spooky. But we're wondering, right, if the moon's been up all night, you know, they're they're bottom food chain species. If they've just been pestered and bothered and 
you know, foxes and coyotes and fisher cats and and whatever, um, you know, that they're just they're just that much more skittish because they've been up all night. And I would have to think that that applies, you know, from a, a Bob White perspective, just the same. Um, you know, it's it's like the the whole um, you know experience comes from from bad judgment, you know, yeah, with, you yeah. know, and, and, and wild birds, like if they have bad judgment, they die. So, yeah, that's right. Uh, you know, whether to yeah. us or to a hawk or, or a fox or something. And so, um, and, and it, uh, candidly, and I don't know, I, I'm, I'm not a biologist by any means, but they are two to three times faster on the wing, <laughs> you know, <laughs> That was going to be my next question. Like, let's say someone has hunted pen-raised quail. They've done that, but they're going to hunt wild birds for the first time. Mm -hmm. What's some things that they should know, they should think about ahead of time? I think with quail, no matter what, um, if folks haven't hunted birds in a cubby, the rule number one is pick one bird. Is, is, <laughs> right. is, that's, is, the hard, is, that's the hardest part. That's the hardest it, rule. <laughs> it is. It yeah. is, but don't don't think about shooting doubles. Pick one bird, um, it kill that bird, and pay attention to where it falls. Because while they're little and you're shooting a gun, I yeah. mean, they will get away, and so pay attention to it, um, and swing faster than you think you need to, um, <laughs> yeah. because they every year I I shoot a fair number of birds dog training, whether that be chucker or, or quail, yeah. and and the first covey that gets up, I'm usually standing there with an empty gun and no birds on the ground because you just, you forget what yeah. it's like to, to, to try to draw down on those things. You got to get the rust off, you know, at least you I do. do when I shoot. Hell, when I go to the range with my rifle to target shoot my rifle, I got to get, I, I got to shoot a couple times to kind of warm yep. up. Do you find that the way they, where they're going to fly? whether it's, mm -hmm. you know, a wild bird or, or a pen raise, let's say you're, you're on the edge of a field, you know, you, mm -hmm. you got or a wild quail, or do you find they, they're going to fly a little bit, the direction they fly, they're going to fly a little bit smarter. Like they know that. hundred percent. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, um, so like I mentioned in, in Kansas, you know, that's where I go a lot. I can think of of two different examples in that one one we were hunting a, a big uh sort of like a osage orange fence row mm -hmm. um on these agricultural fields and so we had you know folks on either side of the fence row um and we had pushed a covey and further down the fence row and eventually the fence row ran out and so we we basically like pushed it all the way down to one end and as we were going quail were getting up and literally flying at us and past us because they they wouldn't go left or right because it was just the agricultural field and it one side was was like a milo or a corn so it had some stemmy cover and the other yeah. side was beans i can understand why they wouldn't want to go to the beans but you know but they were like no we want trees we want shrubs we want that brushy cover and the other one i can think of is that my buddy actually took a video of this we pushed a covey off of a fence row up onto this big grass flat with a couple cedar trees and literally watched the whole covey like dive into the cedar tree. <laughs> so we bring the dog up there and dog goes on point. And so my one friend literally gets his phone out and he's videoing dogs on point, but he goes in to kick the covey and 
you know, we're, we're facing like wide open and there's a couple cedar trees. And again, the fence rows behind us, that covey got up and one bird flew in between us and the rest of them literally got up at my buddy's feet and flew behind us. Oh, like completely got up, flew over the dog, right back to the fence row. Um, and so like, literally we both like shot the one quail that went out in front of us. Cause the other, all of them literally like got up and went completely behind us. Um, and so they know, you know, they, they are always going to prioritize safety in one of the reasons I think too, that, that particularly Southeastern quail get such a bad rap wild quail is that, um, if you've only ever preserve hunted wild quail or, or been in some of the plantations or the bigger operations, those birds, they've got a decent life. They don't, they don't have to survive being in the thickest of the thick. Whereas in the wild bird game, they're going to be in the nastiest cover. Yeah. And as you go to try to flush them, they're going to fly to nastier cover. And so, you know, you might be on a, on a really viney, thorny, brushy fence row and think like, Oh, we're going to get this covey up. Um, and when, and if they can, particularly, they're going to just keep running underneath all of that stuff away from you. Yeah. You know, see that or they're going to get up and, and fly further into it. Um, you know, they, they GPS tracked some, some wild birds in the Southeast once, you know, to try to figure out like if dogs were false pointing and whatnot. And what they found is that a dog would go on point and the covey was there. And then they literally watched the birds run away. They never flew. They just stayed under the thorns and just ran away. Okay. So how, how often is that common? I mean, let's say like you got a really good solid trained dog, you know, he's not going to win, mm-hmm. win the world championship, but a damn good dog or mm-hmm. the best dog in the world. How, how often does that happen? Because just like what I talked about, I've kind of, I, I casually tried to hunt quail like twice over the years, my place and my GSP at the time, she passed away this summer, but she'd been trained on pen rays, mm-hmm. you know, like most dogs, but it just, when we did get close to them, when we did stumble on, on a covey, it's like they, man, they were, they weren't flushing. They were just, uh, taken off on foot well mm-hmm. before i mean i know that i know that zoe had bumped them at the time but i i wouldn't i didn't fault her i mean it's like she was just kind of walking up on them mm-hmm. uh, so how, how often is that really is that, is that very common in wild and and is yeah, that I something mean, it, you work on your dog with both of those absolutely so you know wild birds you got to think about it if they if they fly they're subjecting themselves to predation so a wild bird is going to try to exhaust all options with its feet, uh, particularly if it's yeah. got good cover. And so that early successional habitat, right, is really thorny and weedy, but at least has to that open ground that they can maneuver around. And they're going to take full advantage of that as long as they can until they have to fly. Um, and if you've got, depending on the type of dog, you, know, you and I are talking about pointing dogs. If you've got a rangy pointing dog, it might take you a couple of minutes to get up there. And if those birds have cover to run, they're going to be gone by the time you get there. Yeah, um, exactly. That's right. Mm-hmm. And so, and, and, and I, it's hard for me to blame a dog with running birds when they, if they can't always find yeah. them, you know, it, yeah. it, there's so many variables and, um, you know, a, a really great dog more often than not, will be able to relocate them. But at the same time, you know, conditions change or wind shifts or, or whatever, and, and you don't. And they even found that in that research study that there was times where the dogs never found them. And, and you know, you, you're really, I think that's part of the beauty of hunting with a dog is you're inter- introducing this variable into the hunting that you have a yeah. little bit of control over 
but not a ton. And so you're, you're hoping that the training and the process, like you're hoping that it all works out. That's right. That's right. And, and that's what makes, that's what makes that type of hunting so special when you do shoot one. Um, I, you know, I asked that original question about the way wild birds going to fly because, um, it makes sense. They're going to do that, but I've been paying attention more when I jump them. And sometimes I hear the birds chirping and whatever, mm -hmm. before I see them or hear them or see them fly off. And the other times like last week or the week before I, I was marking trees, which just wasn't tape because we're doing some forestry work. In fact, um, we're cutting, we are doing, doing a bunch of clear cuts right now that we're going mm -hmm. to, we will reforce, but I'm going to take a ton of ground that we're just going to let grow up wild, reset it, maintain some good thickets. But I'm also strategically thinning out some, some pine stands that have already been thinned once mm. and we are thinning them a second time, but I'm taking the, the count, the tree count down to like 50, uh, we're, our goal is 50, you know, 50 as far as a basal area, which yep. like my, my thin pines that you had seen before, like in the big timber was like 70, 80. So we're mm -hmm. going much more like quail woods look in select areas just for food, you know, mm -hmm. get more sunlight, get more foods. I'm looking forward to that, but I've been paying attention to it because there's been a number of times where I'll jump the birds and it's, like that last time I was on a field edge. I'm in the woods. They're kind of on the field edge. You would think they're naturally going to fly over the field and fly away from me, but they go right back above me. They mm -hmm. just, you know, um, and there's one time is that it's a funky layout and it's, it's like a, it's, it's almost like a, a, a pinch funnel and pines and they just, they just go everywhere. It's like, yeah. they're just purposely trying to confuse you because they're just, all, <laughs> they are. They're, they're just all staying in there. Um, can you talk a little bit about woodcock hunting in the South? Because sure, I know I've messaged you before over the years when I've seen some, but I, I don't know anything about them. Every now and then on social media, I'll see people that, you know, will go by boat sometimes, like a little mm -hmm. skiff boat or a John boat. I don't maybe they take a boat and they get out doing it, obviously. But sure, I know a little bit about them, but I, I really don't as far as the hunting side. Yeah, so so for folks that aren't initiated with an American woodcock, it's a forest dwelling species that's I guess about the size of a quail. Uh, has a, a really really long beak. They eat worms, so they need you know soft, more loamy style soils that they can eat worms in and, and probe for worms in. Then um, they're migratory, so they nest and they generally live most of the year up north and in, in our forests. Um, you know, and they they migrate uh you know all fall until probably right now and there's still still birds coming down um they've, they've done a number of studies you know coming from canada uh, basically from maine all the way over to um uh, to you know here where i am you know minnesota wisconsin and they basically continue and funnel all the way down to the south from east texas you know all the way really to the coast of georgia uh, and they're really going to be dependent on that early successional habitat and um wetter areas i don't want to say swampy but uh, particularly in the south where i had really great success was um bottom hunting, like bottomland or creek beds creek mm -hmm. beds that um like off of major bodies of water that you know that's my language now a bit, that... a, yeah, yeah a bit wetter as well as um if those are areas that could get a bit more sunlight to get more growth 
on the forest floor, um, you know, that that's generally where they're going to key in or a five-year-old coming up pine clear cut, you know, um, you know, the, the real, real thick. I mean, I can remember, you know, I coming back from duck hunting this big swamp. So it was wetter ground and we had parked next to this, you know, five, maybe it's, you know, five to 15 year old, you know, growing pine stand. And, um, and we were standing there and you could just hear them at, at sunset, just popping off in there. And they make this, this really, they call it a peen. So they make the sound they make literally sounds like an electrical current. Um, you know, that's the best way I can describe it. And they, the reason that they're in there is that all the pine needles and everything, they really, they keep that soil moist. There's incredible thermal cover yeah. and okay. nothing's going to get in there and get to them. Nothing. Mm-hmm. so um so that's it i would hunt a lot of like if i could find a pine cut over you know in that younger range with a hardwood edge I, that's a lot of what i would hunt if particularly if it was if you could find like creek bottom that like came up from some hardwoods and met uh met a like a, a cut over um i would hunt that hardwood edge like that sort of slope and there's generally going to be birds in there, you know, as long as they're migrating, they are migratory, so they will pop around. Um, but, uh, you know, this time of year, they're going to, they're going to be somewhere in there. How do you, how do you hunt them? And then do you, do you have to have a dog? And, and, and if you do yeah. you use an, if you have the dog, what is the dog really exactly doing? Yeah. So you can hunt them without, it's going to be really hard. Um, you know, they're, would you just jump shoot them if, if if you're not hunting with a dog? I guess, yeah. You'd walk them up like you'd walk a covey up. Now, the, the problem mm-hmm. is finding them. And, and as well, I yeah. mean, woodcock are great, particularly. I mean, they're great for any pointing dog, really any working dog, but particularly for young pointing dogs because they sit so incredibly close. I have multiple times where I've had the dog on point and I can walk up five yards away from the dog and stand there. Mm-hmm. And pick a ground, pick the ground apart, and find the bird on the ground. Um, and and they their their instinct is like a deer in headlights. Their instinct is like, oh, I'm caught. I'm I'm just not yeah. going to move. And whatever this is is going to go away. So walking them up is really hard. Um, I'm not saying it won't, it can't be done, but it it would be really hard. You you really want a dog to be out there covering ground, okay, getting into some of that thicker, nastier stuff, so you don't have to. Um, and and trying to find them. Gotcha. Yeah, that's um I'm gonna try to do I'm gonna try to do some of that soon if I can. What you just described, man, I we've got a couple uh young pine stands that are under 10 years old. I think of one that's right on the bend of a spring fed creek bottom going into a major swamp. I think that'd be good. Mm-hmm. Um Let's shift gears. Let's let's talk about dogs. We can't talk about bird sure. hunting. We can't talk about any of this without talking about dogs. Yeah. Um, you've had you've got some now and they've had a lot. Mm-hmm. Dogs are like I said before, I you know, like I took my lab duck duck hunting a week ago and man, we it wasn't a single duck that flew over. And I was mm-hmm. but just um and we're, you know, Midland, South Carolina, so we're not really tight. We're a little, a little far off from the Savannah River. Um, still surprised with how many wood ducks flying over, but just seeing the dogs work, man. I mean, yeah, it could be one of the worst days 
hunting wise, you know, success killing, whatever your target is, but just seeing the dogs work. I mean, even, even when I, I mostly use, I mostly use my labs for, uh, blood trails, tracking deer, mm -hmm. you know, and just seeing that, man. I mean, it's just, it's like this gear goes on. And lately, um, I've got a cousin of mine that got into, um, he's, he's become, a, a coonsman. Um, he's All got, right. a, he's got a coon hound and, just a wildest story. No one's family did it, uh, in our family, but, um, there was a coon hound. I don't know what kind of Walker or something came up to our farmhouse where you've been mm. before. He yeah. was kind of lost, no collar, no way of finding an owner. And he took him in and just started hunting with him. And he's gotten, he's gotten two more and I've gone, man, it's fun. I, I, that's the yeah. only time I've gone raccoon hunting and doing it with my cousin and watching the dog. It, it's fun. It, 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 I yeah. mean, it is. So what, what, I mean, I know a big passion of you is not only hunting in the outdoors, but it's dogs, right? Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, I, I got into bird hunting, you know, really through dogs and, and obviously what I do professionally with ugly dog hunting now is really stems from, from the dogs, but it's, it's funny you mentioned what you do with your labs. That's how I got into a bird dog is I, I got a, a German wire hair pointer really to blood track. I was a huge deer hunter at the time and, um, was bow hunting a lot and wanted a dog, but wanted a dog that could be useful. And my first priority really was getting a dog that would blood track yeah. um, that I could do some other things with. And it was through exploring the training. I learned more about bird hunting and duck hunting and, um, you know, different tests and trials and dog organizations that I could be a part of. And really from there, I jumped in with, with both feet. And so, um, you know, it, it, it is amazing the connections that you can build. And for me, it also became like, it's another reason to get outside, you know, whether mm -hmm. that is, because even now, you know, up here, bird season's over and, and granted it's right, really cold right now, but in about a week, it's going to warm up to 25, 30 and I'll be out letting the dog run around and I won't be, I won't have a gun. Yeah. But it's still fun to watch the dog work and find some birds. And, and it's oh, yeah. the same as you would do with, with deer, right, in the off-season of scouting and finding trails and looking for sheds. I do the same thing for wild birds. In the you know Before they're nesting, if I can go out and help me work the dog and the dog gets some exercise, I get out, some, get some fresh air and find some new places and explore, everybody wins. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, for now, I have just my short hair, Mac, um, just this year, I, I lost a couple of dogs uh about a year and a half ago in an accident uh that was really unfortunate but i'm adding a puppy this spring and so i'm going to start the rigmarole all over again what do you have you ha have made have you made definitive plans about this puppy Is yeah this yeah no that's i'm getting a, a another german wire here so another bearded nice. dog and, um yeah it's a little probably a little bit more suited to the cold uh cool. <laughs> environment and uh yeah, re rebuilding, and it fits with the ugly dog, you know, the the face on the mother. Yeah, dog. you kind of you kind of <laughs> have to, you know. That's a little too pretty. I call her my pretty ugly dog. You know, G yeah, and and Mac is a pretty dog. I mean, there there's I am partial to to a GSPs. We we had a female one, and it's just when you when there's a good looking GSP, they're just gorgeous. I they mean, are. I've you know, there's some every now and, then, and most of them are. Most of them mm -hmm. are, but sometimes you see one, it's kind of like an old hound dog, but most German short hairs, I just, but I know that they're, they are functioned differently, but yeah, man, I mean, to your point, I mean, you know, dogs keep, dogs keep us more active, whether we, you know, think about it or not going outside with them. And as far as 
Um, like I've been taking duck with me um, more so when I've been up there now. It's just we're now just the off season. Our deer season ended in January first, but um, I try not to bring him out in the woods unless I need him for something just for extra pressure. But really and truly, man, dog, dogs don't really affect most wildlife. I mean, unless they're going to chase them. They're not really altering anything. I mean, going back to when I was coon hunting with my cousin, I mean, everyone's seen the videos, but we did the same thing. We got right on top of bedded deer, bedded bucks, and they're just sitting there. It's and there's 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 actually some pretty cool. There was a cool research study that Mississippi State University did about dog hunters, and they had deer collared in, in huh. I think Mississippi, and they were you know it was being dog hunted. And they were watching the dog. Well, I'm sorry, watching the deer. Mm-hmm. How long they waited before they got up, and how they circle right yeah. back around. So, um, yeah, that's that's awesome, man. Yeah, dogs. Um, dogs add a very good element to um, to you know anyone's anyone's if you know anyone's hunting life. If someone's in the south, and they're gonna they're gonna try to quail hunt, maybe mm-hmm. try to you know woodcock anything else in the South, what, what would you suggest? Some, probably some good kind of all around breeds um, from a hunting, hunting perspective. I know most people know about a lab like I have and, you know, labs are very vers- versatile, but um, you know, a lot of people don't like them for certain. I mean, they're not bird dogs. Let's, let's be honest. So if someone's looking, sure. really getting into bird hunting, what are some dogs that you would probably suggest that's a, that's a great question i would say the answer to that really boils down to their level of activity and how mm-hmm. much they want to they want to be involved they want that dog to be involved in their dog's life or in, in their family's life so i'm really spoiled in that um my short hair is is not a normal short hair and that she is really calm She's like she's literally laying over there on a or chair you, in the window. Did you do and, a DNA test? Are you sure she's? Really yeah, well, it's, yeah, well, yeah, you know. Cool. And I've had her. I've yeah, and I've had her out of a kennel in the house, free range, wow. since she was like ten months old. Um, that said, I mean, I know that she's an anomaly, and they generally need daily exercise, daily mental stimulation. You know, they're she like i said is an anomaly in that she'll do that right now and if i drove to kansas she would run 25 miles tomorrow um you know that would would be a, a normal day for her hunting um so so she has the ability to keep the spring coiled whereas a lot of them they gotta let that energy out somewhere so yeah that's you know they're beautiful but you better be prepared to to manage them there are other breeds you know that that tend to be a bit more calm around the house. Um, so stick to things like that, you know, something like a Brittany comes to mind, something like a setter comes to mind. Um, and, and I will say, you know, your results may vary. Every, every breed has its sort of stereotypes. And then within that is every litter, it could be something different. So folks are really going to want to be picky about the parents, you know, how active they are, what is their temperament in the house? Uh, you know, and really pay attention to to you know the the breeding on those to to know what they're getting and ask breeders really good questions because uh, I've seen some setters that are nuts and same with Britneys. Yeah. Um, but really thinking about like 
again, I'm a pointing dog person. So how do you, you know, for me, I'm always going to trend towards that. The other options is something maybe like a Springer or a Boykin um, or Cocker Spaniels are really on the come up. But at the same yeah. time, I mean, they, yeah. they call those things crack monkeys for a reason. So <laughs> be prepared. <laughs> yeah. I like that. Yeah, I, I would add that just just for anyone if they're not familiar to do your research about the breed, like what you mentioned, GSP. When when we bred uh, our female, we bred her a couple times, and when we were looking at you know uh, potential uh, families for the puppies, I mean, my wife was diving into them as far as a background, you know, like <laughs> yeah. there was, I, I could think of, there was like a, a, a younger, I don't know if they were, if it was a couple or not, but a younger person and they're out of college and it seemed like they were, you know, a good person, but they lived in an apartment complex and you were out of college and it's just, it might not be a good, even though we didn't tell them this, it might not be a good setup for a GSP, sure. you know? Mm -hmm. um, so, all right, man, let's, um, I'm glad we covered dogs. I don't, I don't feel like dogs get, Dogs don't get talked about as enough. I know there's some really good dog hunting podcasts out there, but you know, still let's um let's sort of wrap this up with some rapid fire sure. questions. Pushing the hot Let seat. Her Perfect. Um all right, hunt camps. What what mm -hmm. are there any major differences between deer camp and and bird camp? I mean, is there a level of you know, gambling or alcohol or debauchery or anything that you can say is tied in with more so than the other? Um, cause I feel like when I'm in a camp, like turkey hunters, yeah, it's, it, it's a lot more serious. Th those guys, man, those guys are die hard or like true turkey hunters and they're, they're getting to bed. And sometimes they'll even try to get the other person loaded so that they have yeah. a bad day. So <laughs> they can, I've seen that before. I've seen that strategy play out when yeah. it's kind of like opening, opening week in a turkey season. There's a little competition, you know? Sure. Um, yeah. And, and deer, deer hunting is just kind of anything goes. I, th I think a lot of people just, at least in my place, there's a lot of people, they just like to get out. You yeah. know, they're just away, you know, whether they're serious or not, they like hunting, but you, you see anything, what do you see on your end? Yeah, I think I have some biases in that I love to hunt and I take it really seriously. And I, I like to hang out with my friends and have a good time, but like, I'm, we're hunting and so i will be up and, and we're going um or or if you can't go that's fine you can sleep it off i'm going um but uh i think uh, that's hard i think my for me deer camp for me has become an opportunity to see folks that i don't get to see very often and so for me that is much more social now i still want to I'm still going to take deer hunting seriously. Um, but for me, I go, I go to deer camp to see my friends that I only get to see at deer camp. And, and yeah. it's really become a, a place of significant fellowship. And, and similarly for my bird camps. Um, but those, um, you know, one of them is a week long. And so uh, probably for the first two, three days, we're really hammer down on hunting as much as we can. And then by the end of the week, it's much more lackadaisical and plan a good tailgate lunch and, and, and those types of things. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it's the competitive piece, like you mentioned with the Turkey, Turkey hunting. Um, but it is, 
there's more similarities I would say than differences in that it's really it's about the experience but it's also really about the community and you know whether I I compare like you mentioned like the skinning shed right and the mm -hmm. opportunity to come come together and tell stories and connect at the end of the day is no different than being at bird camp when everybody pulls in the parking lot and you're all feeding dogs and letting them out and, and kind of cleaning up from the day and getting settled for the night cooking dinner um you know that i think those um those remind me very much of each other uh, yeah and at least in my experience i mean the the bourbon on the table is usually usually the same too so i'm lucky in that front too what are you have you been diving into any different whiskey or bourbons lately anything new man i haven't um it's i actually like to not for any particular reason i just sort of i'm doing the, the dry january thing right now and so i haven't really really gone way off the deep end i will say i was home over christmas and um my mother is very irish and just got back from ireland and she got a um Oh, I think it was like a port cask finish of green spot. If you're an Irish whiskey mm -hmm. person, I would check out the spot series. So she got this, this sort of specialty version of green spot. That was, I, it was all I could do not to put the bottle in my suitcase. Yeah. Green spot is awesome. Uh, red yeah. breast also. Um, mm -hmm. What's the best way to cook quail and why don't more people keep, can you, why don't more people keep the skin on or, or is that not really a thing? I, I never. No, it's a thing. I, I, I was just thinking about that. What would, I mean, cause wouldn't, shouldn't it be better to cook? Like oh, for yeah. instance, like ducks, like wood duck. I mean, if you have the time to do it, a duck is going to a wild duck. It's going to cook better and taste better in my opinion, but it's going to cook better. That's the thing with the skin yeah. on. Yeah. I, I mean, well, I guess you just you have a lot of times you have a lot of quail and it's just, you're just ripping through it. Um, so what I think it's become a patience thing. You know, yeah. folks aren't, just aren't patient enough to, to pick a quail. Um, you know, ducks, you can get pretty far with a rough pluck. Um, you know, whereas quail is so dainty at the same time. I mean, I, and I'll own, I don't pluck them all, but the ones that, that we can pluck, those are awesome. Uh, and, sure. and I think, you know, that there's something to be said for that. For me, the way I do them, uh, I do a, uh, like a red wine and garlic and, um, and rosemary marinade. Hmm. Um, so put them, put them in a, uh, like a sheet pan with that, with the marinade and then cook them on the grill. It's like spatchcocked, cooked real hot, um, you know, pretty quick. And uh, those things are very flavorful i mean guava quail in and of itself is is delicious on its own but you add a little bit more flavor to it in the hot grill especially in the summer you know cooking them yeah. in the summer and remembering those hunts in the fall there's nothing better i like that um what is your all-time favorite state to hunt it could be anywhere in the country birds whatever bird species favorite. you just all your the state there like if, if you can only choose one state the rest of your life to favorite hunt. state you know, some feelings um, I feel like I am gonna I am gonna hurt some feelings. Um, I, so I I have to pick. I feel like I have to pick places I have been. So if I have to do that, I'm gonna say Wyoming, oh. um, just for just for sheer 
volume, if you will, or or um, not volume, like uh, diversity. So sage grouse, chucker, huns. Um, yeah. yeah, you can find pheasants and and some other things. Nebraska would probably be really close because I like hunting prairie chickens. Um, yeah, you know, if I had to pick you know, this, the staple, the Minnesota, Wisconsin, I can get a lot done, but, um, I like, I like diversity of landscape. So there you go. And speaking of landscape, next question, what's your favorite habitat to hunt birds, you know, open prairie down the bogs, bottom land, mm. upland, thin pines with some early successional mixed in. I'm, I'm going to go the, then the northern the northwoods ten you know fifteen year old aspen cut you know where you're trying to fight your way through hockey sticks um, <laughs> yeah like there's there's something to be said for that um if someone if you could give a tip or two you know people talk about your know, public land hunting mm -hmm. you know public land deer hunting tips would be you know find even like a little pocket, it could be a corner. It could be right out, right between the parking lot and the road, but mm -hmm. kind of got the features where no one's really going into. Some people say go as deep as you can um, mm -hmm. for deer at least, but mm -hmm. there's got to be, you know, to your point a minute ago about wild quail and how they fly, it, it's, it, you know, the birds aren't leaving. If, if you have, if the land has what the, the species needs, you're not really going anywhere, but they're avoiding mm -hmm. us. It, you have a good hot tip or two for public land bird hunting in the South? Not, not the hot yeah, spot, yeah. the places, but just no, a, no, a tip if someone wanted so, to go. One of the best things that I've I've settled on, and, and we apply this to a number of different things, whether this be woods or, or prairie, is... Um, I guess simply stated, like hunt it backwards. So if you were to look at a at a terrain feature or a map of where you wanted to go and where you thought birds were or where you knew birds were, think about how every if you're particularly on public land, think about how every other person parks in that parking lot and goes to that feature and figure out how to cut them hunt them backwards. So come at them from behind, um, yeah. and that it is. You wouldn't think that wild birds would would be that developmentally attuned, um, yeah. but me and I mean, a handful of my buddies have proved that time and time again, particularly on, on rough grouse or pheasants. Um, you know, if you give them, like if you introduce pressure from a place they're not used to pressure coming from, um, you're generally will get a win. I like that, Mike, because that, 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 um, that's, something I've been tuned, trying to tune into as far as, uh, you know, deer setups in mm -hmm. my farm when I help people with their hunting property is that you, you've got to, it's not just where the deer are, where they're coming from, what they're going to be doing, but it's, you know, where are you coming from? You know, like if you're at my property and I put you in one stand, you know, and the wind's blowing, let's just say out of the West, I don't need to hunt east of you because if I hunt east of you and it's blowing out of the west, it, it, like your scent could potentially mess it up. So it's just thinking ahead in public land. Mm -hmm. It's got to be the same way. You're you're almost thinking, you know, offensively as far as other hunters and, mm -hmm. you know, what, how the game is going to be moving around based on other hunters, other pressure. Mm -hmm. um, I like that. So this has been fun, Mike. Where can people find you? 
ugly dog hunting. I know you, you do a lot of writing, always have. I've always enjoyed that. Sure. Where can people find you? Yeah. So um, for first and foremost, is would be uglydoghunting.com for all your dog training and bird hunting needs. Um, you can find that us on social media too, um, Ugly Dog Hunting Company um, on, on Facebook and um, Instagram. Um, you can find my stuff um on on instagram at um the, my handle is my first initial and my last name so at m nadusky and then for writing probably the best place to find my stuff would be the mouthful of feathers blog uh so mouthful of com is a, a place where a handful of us do do a bunch of bird writing and and dump it there so um, feel free to reach out would love to hear from you all yeah and i'll i'll have all those in the, in the show notes and yeah i would i would implore everybody to follow Mike. I mean, you're, you're, I would say, I mean, I'm wired for whitetails and it seems like you're <laughs> wired for birds. It's just like year round sure. you're posting about your dogs or you're cooking something or yeah. hunting. I mean, it's just, um, a very knowledgeable guy. And I expect some and know there's going to be a lot of success with hunting dog. Uh, I keep saying hunt, ugly dog hunting. <laughs> um, so I appreciate you coming on Mike. This has been a lot of fun. Thanks so much, Mark. I appreciate it. Thanks. Um, and we'll, um, you know, I got to come up. A friend of mine told me, I, I got to come up with like a, a sign off. Ah. Uh, I just uh, haven't come up with one. So at some point I will, and I'll add that to it. Right. So thanks yeah, everybody for go. listening. Thank you, Mike, for your, for your time. I'll have all this in the show notes. See y'all next week. <laughs>